0: So today we are going to have our second week of probably five weeks looking at what the Bible says about discipleship. Everyone say discipleship. Discipleship. Does anybody in one, this is a one word answer I'm looking for. Does anybody remember what a disciple is from last week? Apprentice. Yes, a disciple is an apprentice. It's most simple, most basic meaning has to do with apprenticeship. So today we are in Matthew 10. Our passage is going to be Matthew 10, 16 through 27. And Matthew 10 is a private powwow between Jesus Christ and his 12 disciples. You know, Jesus had a crowd that was with him, but their commitment level to him, you know, was a big group. and, And many were not. Very committed to that. Then there was another group of disciples who really stuck with him and went many of the places that he went and saw many of the things that he did and heard many of the teachings that he taught. But then within that group of the disciples, there was a group of 12. And we know about these 12. And chapter 10 is instruction that Jesus is giving These 12. It is instruction that he is giving them about the future and about what God would have them do. And so keep that in mind. He is preparing them to do the work that he came to do. He knows that his days in this ministry on the earth at that time were numbered. And he had a strategic plan to reproduce himself. And he spent a great deal of energy preparing these 12 to do the things that he came to do and to proclaim the message that he came to proclaim. So let's uh, follow along with me, Wood, if you would, and I'll read Matthew ten sixteen through 27. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark. Say in the light. And what you hear whispered. Proclaim on the housetops. This is the word of the Lord. Give yourself to the reading of it. And uh, when the time is right. Your discussion leader will begin the discussion. So Matthew 10. 24 and 25. Are the, the, the heart and soul. The core of this sermon. There was a lot in our passage about suffering and we'll touch on that a little bit today. We're going to look at that a bit more in a bit more depth next week in Luke chapter 14. But well, we get to verses 24 and 25 and and it's kind of like a parenthesis. It's kind of like a, a a step back from the main conversation. And It's really a reference to the big picture of what it is that Jesus is doing with these 12 men. Why did he tell James and John to stop fishing? Why did he pull Matthew or Levi away from the Roman tax collector booth? What what was all that about? What was happening? Why did he have those men quit their profession and stop doing what they were doing? This is why. They were to become like their master. They were to become like their teacher. So verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Back in that day, there were lots of rabbis in the Jewish faith. And they were spread over a large geographical area. And they would all have their own disciples. You know, John the Baptist had his disciples. The Pharisees had their disciples You know, all these different religious leaders, they had had their students, they had their people that they were bringing along with them to become like them. But in verse 24, Jesus says that a disciple is not above his teacher or a servant above his master. There was a very unhealthy, competitive nature in the religious world at that time where people wanted to gain a bigger following than the person they were studying under or the person that they were learning from. We see this to some degree today within church culture. But we get to verse 25, and, and Jesus kind of he, he tells us where it's at. He tells us what's important. He tells us what is sufficient. You know, we often go beyond what is sufficient, right? But in verse 25, he says, it is enough. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. It is enough for the servant to be like his master. Stop trying to outdo each other, y'all. Just grow up and become like the person that's pouring into you. It's not about who has more Twitter followers. It's not about who's written the most books. It's not about who you know, has the biggest church or makes the most money. Or has the biggest building? It's not about any of that. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And so so you see teacher and master being a reference to Jesus here. It's obviously who Jesus has in mind. And you see that the disciple or the servant being the twelve. And I'll also say to a large degree, it's a reference to us as well as we serve Jesus. Christ in loving obedience and as we follow him in discipleship. So we get to the second part of verse 25, and it says, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So who's the master of the house? It's Jesus. This is a reference to himself. And in the second part of verse 25, you see how all this talk about suffering fits in. Or or, let me say it like this. You see how verse 25 fits into all this talk that has come so far about suffering. So the religious leaders were calling Jesus Beelzebul. And so if you're familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll remember those stories. Big confrontation. And they say, Jesus, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebul. And so Beelzebub was known as the, or I'm sorry, the prince of demons. He had a name. His name was Beelzebul. He It also could have been a, it also meant Lord of the Flies. And think about it. Where do the flies hang out at? Dirty places. Right? And if you think about a homestead or a farm, you know, the analogy, the metaphor goes even further. Where do The flies hang out. Well, Beelzebul is the Lord of the flies. And so when the Pharisees called Jesus that, they were not paying him a compliment. Beelzebul was also the name of a foreign god, the god of Ekron. Uh, My family and I were reading through us. We just started uh, Second Kings in our family worship time each week. And um, we read chapter one and King Ahab's son, Ahaziah, decided to leave Israel, leave Samaria where he was ruling and reigning. And he went to a foreign nation to consult the God of Ekron, whose name was And It's a great story. Elijah like makes fun of him. He's like, why do you have to leave Israel to find God? Huh? <laughs> you know, is there a God in Israel? And then Isaiah calls down fire on 50 of the king's men and they all die. And then it happens a second time. And then it almost happens a third time. But the guy begs for mercy because he saw what happened to the 100 other guys. You've got to read that old, those Old Testament stories, y'all. So they called Jesus Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, Prince of Demons. That is no compliment at all. And in, verse, in the second part of verse 25, it's very simple what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if they think I'm the Lord of the flies, they're going to think you're the same guy that I am. If they treated me like this, they're going to treat you the same way. So when we look at all of Matthew 10, and we didn't read all of Matthew 10, but you could. If we read all of Matthew 10, it becomes very obvious that it is all about the 12 becoming like their master. They are learning to imitate their master. Let's look at a few other verses in Matthew ten. Open your Bibles if it's not already. But look at, at verse one. Matthew 10.1. Jesus, he's just sending them to do the same thing that he's been doing. Matthew ten, verse one. He called to him his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Look at verse sixteen verse 16 Behold Jesus says I am sending you out Jesus is saying to him you've been watching me do all this now you go do it Parents you ever do that with the kids Watch me unload the dishwasher help me unload the dishwasher Okay now I watch you unload the dishwasher right And then mom and dad don't have to unload the dishwasher as much, right? And your household productivity increases. Similar dynamic here. Jesus is saying, you've been watching me do this. Now you go out and do it. Imitate me. Look at chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather... I'm sorry, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Do you all notice Jesus is telling them to proclaim the same message that he came to proclaim? Do you remember in Mark 1 last week we saw the gospel of the kingdom Jesus said the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel it says he came proclaiming the gospel of God and here in verses five through eight he tells them go and proclaim that same message but we get to verse eight and Jesus says heal the sick Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Not only are they proclaiming the same message that Jesus proclaimed, but they're doing the same thing that Jesus was doing. Do you see how Jesus is reproducing himself and they are going to become like their master? They are going to become like their teacher. So what is biblical discipleship? Biblical discipleship is when one man of God turns someone else into another man of God, similar to him. It's when the more mature people in the church pour into those that are not as mature. And we call them to be like Christ. And in so doing that, we all become more like Jesus. Discipleship is not something that just happened between Jesus and the twelve. It is to be happening... Among all of God's people. Some of you remember Keith Tully. He's a founding member of this church. He's a missionary that, that um, your ties and offerings support. We send him and his wife a little bit every month to do the work that they're doing as they invest in marriages with family life. But one of the things he told me when I was 17, I came out of a life of darkness and he was kind of the guy that I grabbed hold of. And he, he very much grabbed hold of me at the same time. And he discipled me. And in that, I became like him in many ways. But one of the things he told me early on, he said, Kyle, if you're a Christian, you always need to be holding someone's hand who is older than you in the Lord. And he said, before long, you'll be older than some other people in the Lord and you'll need to be holding their hands. And so you're becoming more like those who are more mature in the Lord than you are, but then you're calling others who haven't been walk in this road, live in this life as long as you have, you're pulling them with you. And we're all connected like that. So, so Jesus told them to proclaim the same message he was proclaiming and to do the same message. And I want you to notice you know, it's not just the message, but it's transformation also. These people are learning new skills. They're learning to do things that they haven't done before. Discipleship is more than just an information download. It is easy to think, well, if I just read all the right books, and if I just know all the right things, then I'll be a good disciple. No. You can have a lot of the right knowledge and it not affect or change your life. Biblical discipleship goes beyond an information download. It goes beyond just having the right theology. But that, that's a part of it. But it ultimately results in a transformation of life. Where you're doing things you've never done before. You're living your life differently than you have in the past. And that is what these 12 was doing. were doing with Jesus. They were becoming people with new skills... And a new purpose. There is a message. But that message, when properly communicated, when properly received, it brings transformation. So, you know, we discussed verses 16 through 27 today. We did that because I wanted to kind of prepare you for what we're covering next week, but also... I. I, it's just where verses 24 and 25 were. And 24 and 25 is what I wanted to focus on. But we need to explore 16 and so and, and what follows a little bit more. I, I don't want to just completely overlook those verses because they really contribute a lot, especially to verse 25. So verses 24 and 25 are couched in the middle of a long passage about suffering and he said I'm sending you out you're going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves so we know who's the prey and who's the predator there right and he gives them instruction he says be wise as serpents and innocent as doves we will probably explore that much more next week But he warns them, beware of men in verse 17. They're going to deliver you over to the authorities. And verse 19 says, you're going to have to speak to those authorities. And he tells these 12, he says, don't be anxious about what you're going to speak. I'm going to give you what you need to say. Years ago, I read this passage and made tried to make that apply to me and you just can't do that and be faithful to the Bible. I was wrong in my interpretation of it many years ago. But here's what I do get from it as a general guiding principle is that when you are persecuted, God's going to give you what you need to get through it. In verse 21, we see that when you become A member of the family of God, it may bring division in your blood family, your biological family that you came from. Verse 22, he says, You all are going to be hated because of me. And then he makes this wonderful promise. And it might not seem like a wonderful promise, but it really is. He says, The one who endures to the end will be saved. Belonging to Christ. Well, let me say it like this. Enduring to the end is a fruit of our salvation. Those who have true faith will endure to the end. We covered that a lot last year in Romans 8. The perseverance of the saints. Those who have truly repented and believed the gospel. They will only go so far from the Lord before they come back. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. All these things that Jesus is promising in verses 16 through 22, that's what was going to happen to Jesus between this time and his death. And this is what we see happening in the book of Acts. We've been through 15 chapters of the book of Acts off and on the last three or four years. We've seen these promises fulfilled in the lives of the disciples. They became like their master in their suffering, didn't they? They became like their teacher in this suffering. They are Christ's disciples. They are his apprentices. They are his servants. Christ is their teacher and master, and they are to be like him. I remember last year taking our fussy old dairy cow that we should have never purchased into Miller's Custom Butchery in Seaboard, North Carolina, about an hour away. And I was glad to see that cow go away. She almost severely injured me shortly before we took her in. And, you know, I don't like all my animals. I like a lot of I like most of them. But out of all the animals we've had over the years we've been homesteading now, she may have been just about the worst. So anyway, I we got to the shop and it was a small shop. There were only three people working there and they got her out of the livestock trailer and I was just interested in seeing how to turn an animal into food. I had done it a few times. I'd done a goat and you know a few things like that. But you know here I am around professionals. It's a small facility. You know, I can almost see the whole thing from the room I'm in. And so I just say, can I watch? I'd love to see how this process works and 40 minutes later um, my fussy old cow was being put into a large walk-in cooler that was maybe all, I mean a third of the size of this room and I was amazed at the craftsmanship the skill Really, the beauty of the process. I mean, it's a messy process, but it it was beautiful in the sense that it was orderly. And it's what happens to sustain our lives. It's part of the divine order and part of the divine process that God has made for sustaining humanity. And I said to them, I would love to work here for a little while and see how y'all do what you do. And the manager was immediately like, really? Really? And I'm like, yeah. So we talked a little bit about my teeny tiny few attempts I'd ever had at doing that type of work on my own. And we basically agreed that I could help them and they could help me. I wanted to learn what they did and they needed someone who was willing to work because a lot of people don't enjoy that type of work. A lot of people are unwilling to work in that type of atmosphere. And so they saw it as an opportunity to get some help even though I wasn't very skilled I would be helpful because I was willing to work and I was willing to learn. So they saw me benefiting them and I saw them benefiting me. So for about four months, I worked there one day a week and I learned to do what they do by spending time with them. While we were working together in that place, the same thing that happened to them what happened to me? There was a man about 10 years my junior. His name was Wallow. He was from Guatemala. And he started cutting meat when he was 14 years old. And I've never seen anyone handle a knife the way this young man did. And he became my teacher. He became my instructor. I was a disciple of Wallow. Wallow had been doing this for almost 20 years. And, you know, sometimes it... You know, it's a hard job doing what we were doing. I would go home exhausted just like they go home exhausted. Because it's a very physically demanding job. If there was an accident, which there were never any serious accidents while I was there. But, you know, sometimes things didn't go the way you thought. But it would affect us both. Because we were working side by side. We were working together. Sometimes, you know, you would try something and it wouldn't work. And you'd have to try again. And we were working together as a team. And it's not a perfect science. It's not a perfect industry. You know, you're dealing with creatures that are not made in the image of God who are going to do whatever the heck they want to do. And so sometimes things would go better than they would at other times. And I imagine it to be a little bit like the ministry of Jesus. He encountered all different types of people. And he had his 12 men with him. And there were times, there were some encounters with some people that were much easier than encounters they had with other people. They would encounter demon-possessed people, and Jesus would handle that situation one way. Then they would encounter religious people who thought they had it all together. And Jesus would handle that situation that way. Well, these 12 men learned how to do what Jesus did by being with him when all those different situations took place. And when Jesus left and sent his Holy Spirit, then those 12, well, the 11, as we know what Judas did, those 11 went and they did what Jesus did. And while, as I think about my time at the butchery shop last year, I don't think I'll ever be as good at cutting meat as wallow is. I don't think I'll ever be that good. But you know what I can do? I can do the work without him by my side now. I can now do many of the same things that he had been doing. And the reason I can do it is because I was their apprentice. I can now accomplish the same thing that they did. We've got to be close to other Christians. These 12 had to be close to Jesus. And we have to be close with the body of Christ so that we may be like our teacher. So we took a quick look at verses 16 through 22. There was additional instruction given in verse 23. Jesus said to them, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Some people will tell you it's wrong to flee persecution. And that's just not true. So when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the times of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What does that mean? It's easy to assume that that's a reference to final judgment when Christ returns. But there's no way that's a reference to the final judgment. I believe, and I don't have time to go deep into this today, and I'm not going to try to defend this today, but I believe that Jesus was referencing the destruction of the temple in AD 7. Go and look at Matthew 24. Look at Mark 13 and the Olivet Discourse, and it will support that. And there's other places where we can see that too. But... There's strong evidence that supports that, and I've been digging into it slowly over the last few years. But we know that that's not talking about the return of Christ, the final return of Christ. But I believe that is most likely a reference to the destruction of the temple. Anyway, so moving on. Do y'all remember Romans eight twenty nine? We spent, I think, thirteen weeks on the last eleven or twelve verses of Romans last eight last year. But in Romans eight twenty nine, Jesus said, "For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be be conformed to the image of His Son." What is predestination? The simple answer, according to this verse, is God deciding to make you like Jesus. His purpose for his people is to make us like his son, Jesus, to conform us to the image of his son. You all, the biblical pattern for discipleship has to do with imitation. The biblical pattern for discipleship has to do with imitation. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, in his letters, well, actually, in his letters and in the book of Hebrews, there are nine times where, the writer, where Paul and the writer of Hebrews speaks about imitation. Nine times. I want to look at a few of those quickly with you this morning. Imitation is a common term that Paul would use to describe Christian growth and maturity. Y'all, when we imitate godly people, we become what? Godly, right? When we imitate ungodly people, we become what? Ungodly. Y'all, we are commanded to imitate God and also to imitate godly people. So, the Greek word for imitate, if you looked at it, printed on a page you would see the word mime. What's a mime do? You ever been in the city streets and there's some quiet, fairly energetic guy and they come up to you and they start imitating you. They start doing what you're doing and they're really trying to to entertain you is what they're doing. But the word mime has to do with imitation. Becoming like Someone else doing what they do. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. You all, we are to be like our father. And that's simple, right? That's obvious, that's good. Men, we are like our dads, aren't we? And people, we are to be like our father. In heaven, it is a simple, obvious and good thing to be like our father and to imitate God as dearly beloved children. But every other time in the New Testament letters, when you see this idea of imitating, he's not saying imitate God. He's not even saying imitate Jesus. He's saying imitate someone else. He's saying imitate someone else. In 1 Corinthians 4, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1 Corinthians four, fifteen and 16. Paul writes, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. So they had a lot of guides. Y'all, they had a lot of teachers. But as I shared with you earlier, discipleship is more than just an information download. It's more than just knowing the right stuff and knowing the right facts. It comes to relational transformation where someone becomes like someone else. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Paul would go on to say to them, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Paul is, and Paul's not even there when he's writing this. He'd been there a couple times. We're pretty sure he went there again after he wrote, maybe twice after he wrote this. He wanted to have an ongoing relationship with them. Later on in this chapter, a few verses later, Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy to you all so he can remind you of how I lived my life and you can imitate me. Y'all, that's why Internet Church doesn't work. We need more than a teacher. We need a loving father. A loving father. A loving spiritual father. Not in the Roman Catholic sense of the word. But we need someone who's going to stick there with us through the thick and thin and help us grow up in Christ. Look at Philippians 3.17. Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Second time he said, imitate me. And keep in mind, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's pretty great, but he's a man, right? He's not perfect, right? Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here in this verse, there are three levels of, or like three generations of disciples. There's Paul, and then there are people there at the end of verse 17 who are walking according to the example that Paul set. And then there's the church members he's writing to. And verse 17, he's telling the church members there, I want you all to imitate those who are with you who are imitating me. Because Paul had been there. I can't remember if he started the church in Corinth or not. I should have looked that up. But Paul has his people there who know him well, and they are imitating Paul. But Paul is writing this, and he knows there's people there who've never met him before. So he's telling them, he's telling the younger people in the faith to imitate the people who he taught directly. And so, you know, you've got somebody up high with their hand down low. And then then the people holding on to Paul's hand are also holding on to someone underneath them. And they're just bringing people into the kingdom. And older siblings are helping younger siblings learn how to do what they're supposed to do. So Philippians 3.17, it says, Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on them. Do you have someone that your eyes are on? Is there godly people in your life that you have your eyes on? Who are you paying attention to? There is a temptation to pay attention to the ungodly. whether that's on the front of the tabloids or whether that's on TikTok or whether that's on you know, whatever form of media and celebrities that are out there, you know they, they, they want to pull you into their way of thing. Do you have your eyes on those impersonal forces of media and culture? Or do you have your eyes on people who are walking with the Lord, who are actually a part of your life? God wants you to keep your eyes on those who are walking in godliness. If you go to, and you all have to turn there, but 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2. We see three generations, three levels of discipleship again. In the first two chapters, Paul tells them that they are to become imitators of the churches in Judea. So he's talking to the Thessalonians. He's like, hey, y'all became like those churches in Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem. There was travel going on between those two places. And then Paul says, but you know what? The churches in Macedonia and in Achaia are imitating you. So the church in Thessalonica was imitating a big brother church. But then the churches in the two cities just to the west of them, in what is modern day Greece, in the, in the regions of Achaia and Macedonia, those two younger churches are imitating the church in Thessalonica that's not far down the road. That is biblical discipleship. The Bible also talks about having elders of a church that are to be an example for you to imitate. Okay, The elder in the Bible is a pastor. Pastors are elders. There's not two different offices. There's not one that's better or superior to the other. It's the same office in the Scripture. And, church, and the Bible teaches that church elders are to be an example for you to imitate. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says to the elders, he says... I encourage you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter tells them, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Elders are to be examples to the church members. But then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I want to tell you, I'm the last one who who would say, You need to be like me. It terrifies me to think of me saying that to someone. But this is the word of God. This is the word of God. And when you imitate someone, keep this in mind. Anything they have good going for them is only because Jesus is in their life. But yet, the people that you are imitating are people that are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so he tells the church, remember your leaders... Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So I went a few weeks ago, I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I didn't read all four of them, but I got a concordance and I looked at every single example, every single time the word disciple was used. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of those are accounts of the life of Jesus. That's how the New Testament starts. Those are the first four books. It's all four different reports of the same story of Jesus. And I wanted to know, like, how did the gospel writers use this word disciple? And as I read through all of those, it took me hours. What I saw between Jesus and those 12 is there were loads of conversation. How does discipleship happen? It takes lots of conversation And I don't think anything's off-limits. I'm just going to throw that out there. You might talk about some pretty personal stuff in discipleship. There was also, between Jesus and the Twelve, there were lots of questions. There were lots of questions. You want to learn and you want to grow? You want to be someone's disciple? Ask them questions. Ask them questions. I remember... I went to work for Starbucks in early 2007, uh, just months before I got married, and wasn't looking for a career, but I was looking uh, to make some additional income because I was planning to get married soon. And I, within a few months, I thought, you know, I might need to stick around this company for a while. I might try to move up. And I had an assistant manager. Her name was Tawanda. She was a great, great lady. She was probably five or six years older than me and just she could run that store like nobody else there could. And I said, Tawanda, how can I do, how can I get to the point where I'm doing what you're doing? And she says, well, look, you won't get there overnight and it's a lot of hard work. If you want to be a manager, then you got to constantly tell me And the other two managers at the store, how much you want to be a manager, and you've got to ask us every question that crosses your mind. And you've got to learn the things that we do, and as you get better at what you do and increase in competence, you will probably have opportunities provided to you to move up. And so I did just that. Within a couple years, I became a manager. And, And... but in discipleship between you and your teacher, between you and your master. You know, whatever term you want to put there. I, I think Jesus is the only one we should call him master. But um, ask them questions. Ask them questions. Go to them and try to absorb everything you can out of the person that you're learning from and you will grow. Another thing that would happen... In discipleship relationships, and and we don't like this today, but this is how Jesus did it. Every once in a while, he would rebuke one of them in front of all the others. Nobody likes that, right? Nobody likes to be corrected. And we really don't like being corrected in front of other people. But that was something that Jesus did. Another thing that they did together was Jesus would have them run errands. Jesus would have them do things for him to advance the mission. Another thing that we see between Jesus' and his twelve disciples is that those twelve got to hear and see things and experience those things that the other people didn't get to experience. I mean, in a sense, that's true for a church member and a church pastor relationship. I will spend time with y'all walking through things with y'all that I just won't spend that time with anybody out there. We're close. We're in covenant together, we're hunkered down here together. I'm going to spend more time with you and I'm going to share things with you that I'm not willing to share with someone I barely know. And another thing, another of the dynamics that I saw as I looked through all those occurrences of the word disciple is that they did what he said. But I want to tell you, as, as I take just a few minutes and, uh, and looked at church leadership and church members, I want to say this strongly, you all. And a church that does what I'm about to say is a very, very strong church, okay? You've got to have a lot of pieces in the right place to have a strong church, right? And we've all been a part of not-so-strong churches, and I'm sure some of us have been a part of some great churches. But church members aren't supposed to just imitate their leaders. But they must imitate other church members. You must imitate other church members. Some of you have been following Jesus for years, even decades, and you don't realize yet that you're an older brother or an older sister. The biblical pattern for discipleship is that if you have been given something, then you are to give it to others. We see that in, first, or in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have been given something, then you are to give it to others. Now, you're not going to wrap up what you give in the same wrapping paper that you opened it in, right? Because if you get something from me, it's going to come to you in a particular way. But you know what? You're not me. And so when you give it to someone else, it's going to look different than how it was when I gave it to you. Biblical discipleship takes place in churches where members imitate other members and where we build each other up and learn from each other and grow together. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. He wrote that to members of the church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can teach and admonish. Admonish means warn. In Hebrews chapter 3, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day And in Hebrews 5, verse 12, he writes, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Don't be this person. I'm going to read it again. Don't be this person. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Are you the type of person who's been sitting in church for a long time, but you just sit and you come and you're not growing up? Why the stagnation? Why your unwillingness to grow in godliness, if that's you? Don't choose a life of being stagnant. Don't. Be like the Dead Sea where you just receive, 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 and water never flows out of you. Grow up in the Lord. And what God has given you, give to others. Don't be the type of person who is capable of teaching but refuses to do it. Let us imitate one another. And let us do it in the best of ways. Don't embrace a false humility. One of the things I think, I think we can see our shortcomings, right? How many of you are like me, you see your shortcomings better than anybody else? At least you think about them more than anyone else. <laughs> Other people probably see them better, but I think about it. And I dwell on them. Don't embrace a false humility where you focus so much on your shortcomings. And you don't focus on the persevering power of God who is alive in you. Jesus loves you enough to accept you as you are. And he loves you enough not to let you stay there, right? Amen. You're not the same person you were when you came to God. And I say that to say this. You have been given something. Church. Give it away. Give it away. Grab hold of an older, more mature saint. And grab hold of a younger, less mature saint. And let's do life together Becoming like Jesus, becoming like the godly in our midst. Let's grow up just as we're doing already. But let's just speed up that process a little bit more. And let's change the world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.